Spoiler alert! It's Geek Top 5! Yay! A whole bunch of cool stuff happening in the world of geeks, and we're here to distill it down to the five coolest things you need to know about. Let's jump right in. Number five, surprise. Not unwanted, but unexpected. Another Deadpool 2 trailer. Probably the last one. Probably the last one, uh, theatrical one, anyway. Ironically, the first one that actually shows anything, like, really from the movie. Yeah, which uh, I have to say I was... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I am a little indifferent about it. It wasn't... Nothing in it really blew me away. True, but by the same token, it's not like there's anything in there that would stop me from seeing the movie anyway. Very true. Yeah. So what, what do we know? We see a little bit about the story. We know that Cable has come back in time to kill some... Well, to get... We don't know about kill. Maybe yeah. a Shyamalan there. Uh, to get some kid that Deadpool feels the need to protect. Looks like he's wearing one of those, like, control collars that Ajax uh, used from the first movie. So yeah. he's probably one of those, like, artificial mutants. So I guess that's what's going on. Right. He's, uh, he's He seems to have some sort of, like, explosive powers, I would say. Yeah, we don't know much else about who he is. No. Right? We don't know much about him. He's... Uh, Played by an actor who was really only known for playing a character in The Hunt for the Wilder People, directed by Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok. Any connection to Thor Ragnarok is something I can enjoy, <laughs> so that's okay. Uh, I guess the other big sur- well, t- is it a surprise? I was surprised, maybe I shouldn't be, is that it's a big part of this movie seems to be the formation of the X-Force. Uh, we knew yeah. there was an X-Force movie coming, and we knew that Deadpool was going to be a part of it, but I guess I didn't put two and two together that this is going to be the X-Force origin story. I mean, that could end up being a, a red herring thrown out, like Deadpool making a joke of, of coming up with his name, and then, you know, it's a different group later on. Because in the comics, it's Cable who forms X-Force. Cable comes back in time, he's the leader of the New Mutants, the New Mutants was the first X-Men spin-off comic, and then... After about 100 issues or so, it's it changed and became X-Force with Cable as the leader of this Sure, group. but we have all the right people in place, well, right? We see Domino, yeah. we see whoever it is Terry Crews is playing. But just... Apparently, in my research, he's playing a character named Bedlam, who's one of the, the Bedlam twins who was invented for the Age of Apocalypse storyline and sort of found his way to the regular Marvel Universe. Mm. He's Which isn't what I would have expected. You know, there are char- He looks similar to characters like Garrison Kane or G.W. Bridge, who already have X-Force. Yeah. I saw a lot of GW Bridge speculation when okay. I was doing my research. So I think that was the very reasonable speculation beforehand, but there's a frame in this movie where you see the name Bedlam and and people are speculating that that is, is who Terry mm-hmm. Crews is playing. So who knows, I guess. You also catch glimpses of a character who might be Shatterstar, who has long-time uh, X-Force connections. Right. And we also see uh, someone who is probably Zeitgeist, who was... Uh, the leader of the X Force team that is was completely different from every other version of X Force, uh, <laughs> right. where they were like a reality TV show, and mm. it was interesting. And it's a, it's an odd group to come together. They, they're not what I would typically have called X Force. I mean, yeah, but Negasonic Teenage Warhead is back and doesn't even have that much in common with the Negasonic Teenage Warhead comic character, right? right. So let them do their creative thing. Do we know who Purple Hair Electric Whip is? Like the Purple Hair says Psylocke, the Whip says Surge. The the I mean, I don't think they would do Psylocke again after having her in X Men Apocalypse. Uh, so the the speculation, the scuttlebutt, is that it's Surge. But, I don't know, it could be anyone. I mean, like you said with Negasonic Teenage Warhead, she's completely different from the comic book character. So, it, it could be anyone at this point. They're, they are not terribly faithful to the canon. Right. So, 
still, I mean, it's who, even if they're not going to be the X-Force, which, I don't know, I think it seems pretty clear, but we'll see who they are. Yeah. Uh, so that seems like a blast. We also see the, the regular cast is returning. T.J. Miller's back as Weasel. Morena Baccarin is back. Thank goodness. Um, <laughs> she, her, the interesting thing is, the character she plays in the comic books is a shapeshifter, and the first few appearances of Domino were actually her. And Domino didn't actually appear until something like issue eight of X Force. So, anyway, it's, right? Again, they're they're it's messing all very with, complicated. Yeah, they're messing with the canon a little. Yeah, cinematic universe does not match the comic universe. So uh, another thing that I found when I was looking through some of the cast list, this wasn't in the trailer, but apparently Black Tom Cassidy is a character in this. He is Banshee's half-brother, or he's somehow tied in with Banshee in the comic books, but he's best, he's a villain, and he's tied in with Juggernaut, usually. Usually they're partners. Mm. So it's, he's an interesting choice as a villain, and maybe he's someone that Cable and Deadpool will team up to fight by the end of the movie. Because we know they're going to team up. Well, like, yeah. That's not, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, otherwise, it looks like the you know, more of the regular Deadpool fun. He's got you know, plenty of the fourth wall breaking one liners. Uh, we you know, all the ridiculous stuff. We see him in a fight. It looks like a strip club because he's jumping off a pole. When he lands on the table, he's wearing these high stripper heels. <laughs> uh, it's it's the same kind of movie. It's going to be more of the same. Everybody loved the first one, and I'm sure they're planning to capitalize on that. Like, there's reports that Ryan Reynolds actually turned down a higher budget for this movie from Fox in order to retain more creative control. I I'm uh, glad he did that. Yeah, that, it that, sounds like I a wish... great idea. That's what happened. That's what made the first one excellent. Yeah, more more stars need to be able to do that. Need to be able to turn down extra money in order to retain what made the first movie good. It, it sounds like he likes it for exactly the same reasons we do, and that's a blast. Looking forward to it. Coming out in May. Super weird time to release a movie because of the proximity to Infinity War and Solo. Either way, we'll see it soon. Can't wait. I'm jazzed for that one. Number four on the list. Um, speaking of new superhero teams, I don't even know where to start with this. So tell me about these new gods. What are the new gods? Okay, so when we talked about Brian Michael Bendis leaving Marvel for DC, I compared it to another huge Marvel to DC defection, which was Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby co-created most of what we know as the modern Marvel Universe with Stan Lee. He left because he never really got along with Stan Lee and he wanted more creative control. And so he goes to DC. DC gives him carte blanche. At least that's what it seems. Except they keep putting more and more limits on him. Mm. But at the very beginning, what he does is he creates this huge mythology that is a new version of the sort of Norse gods. Except weirder and more technological and that's the new gods and and the idea dark side came from there and he's like the dc villain these days he's the dc thanos yeah, yeah. except he came first well okay sure but he created steppenwolf who was the villain in the first justice league movie <laughs> he created uh Big Barda, Orion, Mr. Miracle. These are all characters that are tied into the, the new... So I've heard thoughts. of Darkseid, and I've heard of Steppenwolf because of the Justice League movie, right. and I wish I hadn't. You haven't heard of Big Barda? No. Okay. <laughs> she's, she's one of the more prominent female superheroes at DC. She's this big woman who who's tough and super strong and doesn't take any guff, and she... Is in a relationship with. They're married. Uh, Mr. Miracle, who is an escape artist and is a you know smaller guy, more wiry. So they make for this sort of atypical pairing, especially in mm. you know 1970s. But they're very loving. They have a great relationship, and it was just an interesting concept. The, the idea is that 
the the I believe it's the High Father. He lived on New Genesis, and they were always at war with Apocalypse, where Darkseid was the leader. And in order to maintain peace, they traded sons. So the High Father got Orion, who is Darkseid's son, and Darkseid got. Uh, Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, and they raised them, and it was a way to maintain peace. Right. So, but the it's like a nature versus nurture debate, and yet both sons ended up being sort of good guys. You know, Mr. Miracle wouldn't be corrupted, and Orion was loved and nurtured and was still filled with anger and rage, but he was able to channel that into a good place. Hmm. Um, we've buried the lead. Why are we talking about this? Fair enough. I got too excited. I know, and that's kind of what I needed, because... I come. I feel like I have no idea who the new gods are, but I'm about to, because that's the next big thing in superhero movies. And it sounds like it might be a good one, because they've got, and God, I hope I pronounced this right, Ava DuVernay. Uh, Close enough, I late, think. Late, uh, d- late of. The director of A Wrinkle in Time mm-hmm. uh, to come and direct this, which is pretty wild. Yeah. It um, seems like an interesting fit. I, I think she's, I mean, it's... She did Selma, she did a documentary about the prison system in the U.S., and then she did A Wrinkle in Time. So this is a bit of a left turn for her into superhero movies. But throughout the production of A Wrinkle in Time and Black Panther, she was very she worked very closely with the director of, of Black Panther. So maybe she was bit by the superhero bug during well, that. I mean, and A Wrinkle in Time isn't exactly grounded either, right? Like that's, Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... Sounds like an interesting project. It sounds like a new project. Sounds like a new way to look at some of these characters. Is it good or bad that I don't really know who any of these people are? I feel like that's good, depending on how they pull it off. Like, if these just turn out to be carbon clones of the Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm going to be pretty let down. I don't think so. They're more epic. They're more. It's a more of a sprawling, Ragnarok, Norse mythology-inspired group. These aren't ragtag guys who are... Zipping around the galaxy trying so to solve problems. So it's the DC thing again. Everybody's a god. Yes, except Which, in this case, literally. Yeah, but, uh, but also space gods. Yes, uh, and I, I think it's interesting. I think if it's handled with a sense of humor, um, you know, they never really appealed to me because they were a bit too high and mighty, a bit too stuffy. Uh, so they didn't really appeal to me, but I'm excited to see what a new voice can bring to it, and it's a side of the DC universe we haven't really seen. Uh, And I'm excited to see that on screen. Let's move on. Number three on the list. Wow, we reported back about Star Wars Battlefront 2 as the the vanguard in a new era of corporate greed and screwing over video game players. And everybody complained about it and didn't expect it to make a difference. And we did. We did it, guys. We won. (laughs) We did it. (laughs) I think... Geek Top 5 deserves all the credit. Well, definitely. We broke the story. <laughs> no, uh, so Star Wars Battlefront 2, which basically was a full price, like $100, big epic Star Wars game, competitive, player versus player, and it was pay to win. Uh, the more money you put into it, the easier the game is for you to beat other people. EA, the Electronic Arts, the company making it, backed off that plan. Uh, just this past, yeah, when this comes out, it'll still be just this past Wednesday, they replaced that system in the game. You can no longer buy improvements to your characters or your ships or what have you. Uh, what they're going to do is they're going to start selling cosmetics instead, and to get stronger and more powerful stuff in the game, you're going to play it and gain experience, like every other video game and tabletop game, and really a proven system we've had for almost 100 <laughs> years that you think it would have been easy to see. We won! 
I sort of expected if they were going to take a lesson from this, it would be seen in the inevitable part three of this game series, which will probably come out this fall. <laughs> yeah. Since that seems to be the trend of the yearly update to this, although it's not like the real world games that they do in the same sort of franchise where it's just a different war each year and there's like infinite wars that yeah. they can Or the address. FIFA games or the, or the NHL games. games. It's yeah. like there's a limited number of Star Wars at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're encroaching on unlimited numbers as as we move along, you know, with the various franchises branching out. But it's uh, great to see that they're making the change now. Absolutely. I, I gave it a shot. It's, I think the game still works the way it did, but it's fair. It, re- it rewards you for your effort. So and did the people who already paid the money to get those things, they get to keep those, They right? get to keep it. I mean, because they're not going to take it away from yeah. people because they paid for yeah. it, even if it's BS. So, yeah, you'll still find those people who uh, you know, carted in a, like a Scrooge McDuck's worth of money into it and fly an awesome ship. But from this point forward, it's going to be an even playing field. And I feel like it's probably going to be attracting a lot more people to play it. Like we said, don't play it. It's a pretty good game, but this scheme is BS. Yeah. Now, it's a pretty good game. The price has come down because it's been out for a while. And it's totally reasonable to go through. I know a buddy of ours that picked it up as soon as he heard the news. Hmm. It's It's great. Another fun takeaway, just before we move on from this, besides the fact, like, oh my god, we won. Obviously, they still need their way to make money off the game. So what they're doing is instead of selling, like, upgrades, they're just selling cosmetics, which basically means, like, skins and outfits for the characters and stuff. That's not that uncommon. Yeah. Um, And honestly, in a way, I'm kind of jazzed for that. It's going to be pretty mercenary. Like, you're going to have all the, like, you'll buy the Luke Skywalker, like, Desert Robes outfit, or a Luke Skywalker in a Stormtrooper outfit, or a Luke Skywalker on Hoth outfit. I get that. I don't care, but maybe you really like... like, I think the default for Luke is the Return of the Jedi black. That seems to be. Yeah. But depending on the, like, if it was a buck 99, I'd pay a buck 99 for, like, the old Luke from Last Jedi. Like, him in the robes Hmm. and with the beard and stuff. I think that would be cool to play as. Yeah. And then further from that, some games do this really well. Actually, Star Wars Force Unleashed was one of them, but I'm also thinking of Heroes of the Storm where they use, like, graphical modifications to sort of sneak in other characters that you wouldn't normally have. So I'm thinking, like, they're probably not going to, like, design a whole new character for Mace Windu. But, you know, you already have a Jedi, you have Luke holding a lightsaber. If you just apply that skin and make him look like Samuel L. Jackson, maybe replace the voice lines if you feel about it, that'd be cool. Yeah, well, it's like in Injustice 2, where there's different skins. It's basically the same character, but instead of it being the Hal Jordan Green Lantern, you get the Jon Stewart Green Lantern. Yeah, exactly like that. So, you know, select Luke, but then pick the Mace Windu skin, or the, you know, for some reason, Obi-Wan still isn't playable in this Mm. game. I hope that's going to be a full thing, but if it's not, have the Obi-Wan skin. You know, and then and, if, I mean, there's you could have at least two different Obi Wan skins, three if you count like young Ewan McGregor from Phantom Menace, well, Padawan, yeah, one from each movie, yeah. and then like, do you want to do the Clone Wars? Like, get some of the stuff from there. Like, it's and then like it's the, like the options are open. I mean, the Vader ones are interesting to me. Like, I like I think an Anakin skin for Vader would be kind of a neat idea. Like Anakin on Mustafar with the hood and the glowing eyes, that would be cool. But I feel like it would be weird if he played as a heavy. Like I imagine Darth. Vader would play as you know he Darth Vader True. seems like a bulkier guy than Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. It's it's not a perfect solution, and right? Like, like this bug I mentioned, Force Unleashed. The main character in Force Unleashed holds his saber in a reverse grip, so it always really bugged me. Like you could put the Luke Skywalker skin on him, but he held his lightsaber wrong. Like, it wasn't. <laughs> it's not perfect. I'm just saying it's a neat idea, and 
I'm all for that. Like, if you don't want to spend any money on cosmetics because you think it's dumb, don't spend it. If you want to, because you can get some cool-looking thing. I mean, even for ships. Like, I'd like to get some, like, 181st, like, red stripes in my TIE Fighters. Right. I'd pay a dollar or two for that. That's fine. Or get, you know, the Red 5 Luke Skywalker X-Wing versus the, you know, the orange Poe Dameron X-Wing, the orange or, and black. Or, like, Wraith Squadron Greys, yeah, you know. That's a deep cut. It's, I don't it's, know if they do that. They're, they're deeper than we could get into, <laughs> but we've only got so much time on this podcast. What we're saying is, this game is now officially worth playing. It's pretty cool. And just it's it's like we we made a difference, guys. It's 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 not as big as it should be. We didn't cure world hunger, but it's a start. Damn it. <laughs> Number two on the list. Ah, um, oh, you really got to bring the mood down significantly less significantly less jocular. Yes. Um, we felt like we couldn't let this go without taking special note that uh, Professor Stephen Hawking has passed away. He uh, brilliant man. Uh, I. Couldn't even... I, I tried to figure out a simple way to explain the things that he discovered, and I just... I don't think I could manage it. Yeah. But yeah. suffice it to say, he's an important guy in science and in history, and he will be greatly missed. He also seems like he, you know, he had a... He was dealt a rough hand physically in life. At uh, 21, he was diagnosed with ALS, and uh, he was told he would have two years to live. He beat those odds. Yeah, significantly. And... It doesn't sound like it was an easy go, but all that considered, he led a life that many people would envy. He was brilliant. There isn't any other way to put it. Um, he's into cosmology. He's into what is the universe and how did it start. And his evaluation of just these theoretical physics and science is almost ridiculous to the point that, I mean, I like to think of myself as a smart guy. It's hard for me to follow. Probably, if nothing else that you knew him for, you knew him from his book, A Brief History of Time. And the uh, movie that was made semi-based on that, but was more about Hawking than about what he discusses in the mm -hmm. book. But the book is essentially, you know, cosmology and black holes and theoretical physics for dummies. Right. And even then, I'll admit, I haven't finished it. I started it I've, well, a few I, years ago. To me, it's like, uh, you know, Moby Dick. It's, it's one of those things where you're like, I know about it. I don't think I'm going to tackle it, though. <laughs> it's hard. Space science is hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like, listen, I mean, as soon as you get past X-Wings, that's where I... Yeah. Like, Kerbal Space Program. There you go. <laughs> that was my big one. So, yeah, at a point, but the point of, you know, gravity, that's, that's where my science knowledge starts to get fuzzier and fuzzier. I, I can follow along with Isaac Newton up to a point. Einstein is beyond me, and Stephen Hawking is, you know, might as well be gibberish. But... He was a cool dude. He was in some great stuff. He was on The Simpsons. He was on Futurama. He yeah, let's in... not like let's not go over those too quick. Like that's okay. the other thing. It's I mean it's not easy, but it's common to be a genius theoretical physicist and not be very interesting, right? Like it's you like communicating that to people. Most people don't have the time to hear it. Stephen Hawking was cool. Yes, he he played. <laughs> I mean, in more ways than one. There have been stories about his uh, debauched parties and things like that, which. You know, you don't expect A from a theoretical, what is it, cosmologist, or B from a guy in a wheelchair who's, who communicates through a computer box. But hey, that it, didn't slow him down. Uh, yeah, is, that, is that a pun? Is that... I, I don't know. All right, let's, let's just move yeah, on. Let's go on. Uh, he, no, but he was a big part of like, both scientifically. Like he was big. Like he, he would post open questions on the internet and start debates. Uh, and he was also like he would play like. 
he just he was part of the culture. He wasn't just outside of it. Now, on Futurama, he played like they had a superhero squad of geeks from the twentieth century, and he had this bit where he's constantly taking credit for all these discoveries. <laughs> and it sounds like he had a great like, sense of humor in general. Like it, whenever I saw stuff like that, I thought, "Well, is that him being funny, or is he just being fed funny lines?" But he was interviewed by John Oliver, and again, you could question whether the lines were fed to him, but. From everything I've read, he just came up with great answers. He was a quick wit and and very funny. There's, it's difficult to go into. Like, like we could spend a long time talking about his life and the stuff that he did, and we could glaze briefly over the science that we don't really understand that he did. But what what brings him to geek top five is that he was sort of a geek icon. Mm-hmm. It's let's face it, being a geek tends not to be associated with being cool. It tends to be associated with being kind of small and scrawny and overlooked. Stephen Hawking, paralyzed, wheelchair, can't communicate, super genius, will never fit in anywhere. He made himself a cool icon. He made himself someone you wanted to be growing up, despite all these failings. Now, that's not to do a disservice to all the other amazing I, stuff he did. I, let's just but, let's not call it a failing, because it's not a failing. It's not his fault. It's just like uh, the yeah, you're speed right. bumps he had. Bad word. But yeah, but the fact that in addition to being a genius he was also awesome mm. that's what he gave us and that's what he's left behind unfortunately and a, a few years ago he there was a, a fantastic biopic made about him where eddie redmayne played him and won an oscar for playing him and if you haven't seen it it is it is touching and it's powerful and there's there's great beauty in it and uh it's definitely worth checking out stephen william hawking 1942 to 2018 that's one of those names that made a difference. He'll be missed. So, number one on the list, and I'm getting deja vu, but how could it not be? Another Infinity War trailer. Yeah, we started with the trailer, we're going to end with a trailer. Heck, we've had, we've had number one on our list being Avengers trailer before. <laughs> like, this, is, this is getting common. We should be getting some you know, a little bit of kickback from Marvel. <laughs> but not that they need the coverage. Uh, another Infinity War trailer, also probably the last one before it comes out. I would out. say so. It's coming out even sooner than uh, uh, the Deadpool. Deadpool. But, uh, man, so let's just... Get, like, listen, first off, is it cool? Yes. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. What do we see? Um, first thing is we get that... Honestly, sounded a little forced, but the line from Gamora, which is really interesting. Yes. Again, I, I agree. I thought it was a little forced. Yeah, but maybe it sounds forced because they're trying to make that direct reference. She's saying the entire time I knew him, Thanos, he only ever had one goal, to wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the Infinity Stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers, just like that. And then she snaps her fingers. Yeah, which and that, that is a direct reference to who Thanos is, it's either, is it Infinity Gauntlet or Infinity Wars, where he actually does that. He gets all the Infinity Stones, and he snaps his fingers, and he destroys half the universe. And that's what makes him such a such a badass. And there's a great moment in that comic book where uh, Captain America is one of the last superheroes left standing. He's the one with, I mean, compared to Thor or Iron Man or, or Adam Warlock, he's got pretty basic powers. You know, he's basically just a really fit guy and he stands face to face with him and stares him down and is basically saying so long as one of us is left standing you haven't won and and we're coming for you and there's a moment kind of like that in the trailer where thanos tries to punch captain america and he 
Cap is just holding his fist, and, and he's not going to back down no matter what. Yeah, all oh, these, so yeah, weird. all those like those moments were so powerful in the comics, and it seems like they're, it seems like they're trying to translate that to the movie. Except in the comics, the reason he wants to destroy half the universe is to impress Lady De- or Mistress Death. Basically, a, a human female yeah. approximation of the concept of death, yeah, which doesn't seem to be carrying over into the movie. It, Probably for the best. Maybe. I, I sort of figured that maybe they'd take Hela from Ragnarok and do a mm. thing there. I thought that would be like a fun way to tie the two ideas together. But seems like it's not the way, way it's going. But it just seems like an interesting thing, because then we don't really know why does he want to destroy half the universe. We, we will find out. We will definitely find out. And it seems like we'll find out, because we see that it, at least some of this is going to be... Like there's a, put it this way. There's a flashback with Thanos and young Gamora. Which is interesting, but it also means... Well, that... We presume it's young Gamora. Okay, it's... I th- guess we don't... Thanos and a little green girl. Yeah, probably Gamora. Let's not... You know, yeah. Sorry. I, I'm getting nitpicky. But, so it seems like we're going to be learning more about Thanos. Like, he's not just going to be the, like, villain of the week. It sounds like we're going to be understanding a little bit about his story. Or at least a bit about Gamora's background, which should overlap with his story. So yeah. So that's a direction I don't think a lot of people anticipated. No, and I, I guess it's a way to make him a more interesting villain than just someone who shows up, wants to destroy half the population of the galaxy, and, and that's that. He's just blandly evil. Right, yeah, it's got to be like, why? Why? Yeah. It's got to be like, what is his goal? And and we know that like he's been looking for the Infinity Stones for a long time, since the end of the first Avengers movie, so... I, it, I have to say, one of the things that worries me about it is that he, in the comics, has sort of become this go-to big cosmic villain who is just evil and wants to destroy stuff and personally i find him kind of boring at this point he he's he always wants to just destroy everyone he always wants to get the infinity stones and he's always defeated in the end and then he just comes back a few months later dark side is kind of the same thing where there's just not that there's there's he's not just a, a bad real guy. interesting motivation like magneto or even killmonger and black panther where there's a, a a motivation you can understand, kind of sympathize with, and I, I appreciate villains like that a bit more. And it seems like that's what we're going to get. Yeah, I hope so. We are running low on time, but just some quick hits. Uh, we see it looks like Vision and Scarlet Witch are going to Wakanda from Black Panther. We know there's a big battle scene that happens there, so that's going to be a cool way to tie it all together. We see newer, like a new and improved Hulkbuster armor, which is great. Like we've seen, like we knew it's been in there, but now that you see it, it's like a way cooler version of it. Still hints that it's Bruce Banner in there, which is interesting. That could tie into some of the troubles he's having with the Hulk from Ragnarok, but we'll see how that goes. It seems like we see the scene of Thor getting his new weapon. Uh, We already know from leaks from the toy department stuff that it's going to be Stormbreaker, which probably in the comics belonged to Beta Ray Bill. Probably not going to in the uh, movies because that'd be hard to carry. But man, would, would that be, be so cool? It would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Beta Ray Bill is a horse-faced alien who uh, becomes sort of becomes Thor. Becomes Thor. <laughs> becomes a horse-faced Thor, and they become like best buds. And it's ridiculous. Oh, and it's the best. Probably won't see Beta Ray Bill, but boy, I could wish. Uh, we see Thanos's henchmen, including Black- e- Ebony Ma. Sorry. Yeah, he's the one you see the most of. He's sort of uh, in the comics. He's like a. A spy he can teleport. He can control minds yeah. and stuff. So we see all that stuff. I'm pretty sure we still haven't seen Hawkeye, and we haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp, and we haven't seen Captain Marvel. I've heard her scene got cut. Right, they're gonna put Brie Larson. In. Yeah, yeah. I think that's gone. I think that's been confirmed. Right, but no Hawkeye. 
I, hmm. Apparently, Jeremy Renner has been posting a bunch of Hawkeye stuff on his uh, Instagram feed, being like, hey, guys, I, I am here. I've, I've got stuff. He okay. posted a fan Photoshop of one of the Entertainment Weekly covers with him. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I don't know if he's he's just playing it up or if he is legitimately sad that he's not as involved. But we'll see what happens. We'll, I mean, yeah. we'll see if he's in there. I mean, the whole world is going to go see Infinity War. That, that trailer was up for 24 hours. It was the third most viewed thing on YouTube ever. Wow. Yeah, the entire planet is going to go see it. The end of the Marvel. Like, everything Marvel has wanted for the last 10 years built up to this this i'm so jazzed yeah i'm jazzed it's going to set the stage for everything that comes next uh, i think you know. and will anything ever be able to hold up to it right it's a good question we're always going to be saying oh but infinity war well i hope so i hope you're right true you're right well at least if, i mean we know avengers was amazing and everything they see they've been hitting it out of the park consistently yeah i have and, the faith and thirds seem to be a pretty good sweet spot for them second movies a bit hit Third movies for sure. Uh, Ragnarok, Civil War, uh, Iron Man three was one of the highest grossing superhero movies ever. It was pretty good, yeah, and pretty good. Uh, and so let's see, let's see if they maintain the trend. That was the news for the set. Uh, Geek Top Five. We'll be right back with our special guest segment. So please stay tuned. Welcome back for the second half of Geek Top 5 as we warp into the 24th century for a look at the worst of Star Trek The Next Generation. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, I'm going to give that to you. Wow. (laughs) With us again this week is the one and only Dave Clark. I think I, officially friend of the show. Oh, at, at, at least. Close friend. Close yeah. personal friend Cousin of the show. Of the show. Uh, Gross. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Next Generation, lots of it's really good. Lots yeah, of it's uh, really you know, good. It, Some of our favorite Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. They got me hooked on Star Trek. Love it to death. Absolutely. Some of it. Some of it. <laughs> Some of it's not so good. Some of it's bad. Some yeah. of it's really bad. Like Graham, better with a beard. Oh. <laughs> I feel a little self-conscious right now, but that's okay. That's well, I don't right. know how you look with a beard. Yeah, it's it's. I just go from zero to rabbi in gotcha. full. It's yeah. It's it's. Don't don't go there. Okay. Anyway, so we're gonna talk about the my my top five worst. Star Trek The Next Generation episodes. And I just want to start off by disqualifying the clip show. That's because fair. if we talk about the clip show, we are it's just so obviously bad. And but like, all clip shows and, have always been crap. Yeah, they, exactly. they, they don't count. So, what's number five? Uh, okay. Night Terrors, season four, episode 17. March 91. I kind of like this one. Yes, there's one glaring issue. But I, th- there's some parts of this one that I like. Your glaring issue is the fact that everybody should have hydrogen available? Well, okay, no. But okay. Th- that, yeah, if you want to get into the weeds, there's lots of those. Obviously, the biggest problem with this episode is Troy's nightmare sequence. Yes. Where, for some reason, they wire her up to look like she's flying... Yes. And they fling her between this lousy cloud effect. Yes. And it it's is... It's green. Yeah. And it's <laughs> insufferable. Now, I, I find that the older I get, the more I realize Next Generation kind of has a woman problem. Anytime there's an episode that focuses on, on one of the female characters on the show, it tends to be one of the weaker ones. Yeah. This is a prime example of it. Yeah. I would say specifically with Troy... 
Like Crusher yeah. has some bad ones, some stinkers we'll to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, and and I think that's partially the '90s television. Right. I think that's partially uh, sci-fi, and I think that's partially specifically these writers. But um, do you think it's also partly because uh, Counselor Troy is essentially the ship's therapist, and there's not a lot of stories to do with the ship therapist? Well, there's nothing for her to do on the ship. This is one of the many episodes where she's on the bridge for some reason, we don't know why, and Picard looks at her and goes, Counselor, what do you think's going on? And she goes, I, I don't know. But I have to go on the away mission. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and Picard like he like she trails off, and Picard looks at her for a second and goes, <sighs> and turns to somebody else who can get the job done. Like we see Troy do this a lot. It's it's really a shame. Because... Anyway, before we get any further, should we quickly go over what's happening yeah, in this yeah. episode? Quick synopsis: the uh, the Enterprise discovers a ship that is adrift. Turns out everybody on board is dead. Quite violently, and uh, they soon discover that it is because they couldn't sleep and dream, and they're being affected as well. So everybody went insane. Everybody on the Enterprise is now going insane because they're in a... It's two things. They're stuck in space because of the, you know, like the space thing. A space thing. <laughs> and then there is... But there's also... Uh, spoilers... Uh, there's also an alien ship that's trying to communicate with them telepathically, and Which that telepathic communication is keeping them from dreaming. Okay. And in real life, like this is a real thing, if you don't dream, you start to get pretty funky. Yeah. I don't know if you're getting homicidal funky. Man, I get homicidal if I don't like, get my nap in the afternoon. Which, like... <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. But all those things are happening. And, you know, there's a lot of things built into that plot that is just so we can experience this story, which I always have a little bit of an issue with. Like, the sensors can't see the other ships. If the damn sensors worked, (laughs) none of these episodes would happen and we wouldn't have something to watch. Okay, fine. I get it. But the Enterprise E, or the Enterprise D, rather, is the uh, ship that we see in all of Star Trek with the most people on it. And there's only one person who on board the ship that can communicate with this other ship yeah only one empath that's weird that's, that's well you know i mean they, we know there's vulcans so they at have least telepathic one. abilities dr salar who yeah. you see in the, another episode yeah so the, my first problem is is that okay it has to be troy all right fine it has to be troy the other problem i have with this episode and the thing that kind of as they go through the different characters' reactions to not sleeping, I feel like they're all just sort of left unresolved. So you get uh, O'Brien gets angry at Keiko for for nothing. For nothing, uh, Worf is going to commit suicide, and uh, Troy stops him. But you know that's not like she doesn't resolve his turmoil. She just stops him in that moment. Uh, there's a couple others, I yeah. think, as well. There are a couple, there's like a, like, a, a near mutiny in Ten Forward later on, right? Yeah, Guinan stops it by like, like she pulls like a space shotgun out from yeah. under the bar. First of all, <laughs> who's letting her keep that <laughs> in Ten Forward? <laughs> it is. It's a space shotgun. It's gold, and it shoots all sparkly fireworks everywhere. It's right. so 90s. It's, it's so obvious. It's obviously a hunk of plastic yeah. that somebody spray yeah, painted. 
but it's also like pulling from the trope of the Western bartender who's got to like stop the rowdiness yeah. in the bar. But it's like this is 24th century. It's the quietest, calmest ship in the fleet. And that ugh. being said, some of the hallucinations and stuff I thought are really cool. I love the scene with Crusher. She's in the morgue. Yes. With, with all the body bags. And right. she hears the body bags rustling. And the camera pulls back and all the body bags are sitting up. That's a spooky moment. That was spooky when I saw it as a kid. It was spooky when I watched it this morning in preparation for this <laughs> podcast. Honestly, I wish they had gone more horror. Yeah. Like, you know, compared to... There's a couple episodes of Enterprise where they decide to do a horror thing. And I thought that there's an opportunity here. If you, I know that they were making them like three a week. Next Generation yeah. was being done low budget and very fast. But I just, if you'd stop and sort of like really focused on making this a horror episode, you could have done an amazing episode. The The idea isn't bad. It was the execution. The execution. They, we wanted Star Trek Alien, and what we got was just Troy flying, and the characters just trying really hard to act not like themselves and failing. Yeah, it's still a lot of temple rubbing. Yeah, a know? lot of temple rubbing. But it's it's also got a, a cool sort of sci-fi conceit, which some of the later ones on this list don't. They don't even, like, the sci-fi is negligible. Yeah. And this, like, Star Trek Next Generation, as my dad liked to say, it was every week you got a little cool sci-fi movie with a cool sci-fi concept in it. Yeah. Sometimes this one, more This one I will give it. But Troy, in her dreams, shouting, where are you? A total of seven times, mm-hmm. she shouts, where are you? <laughs> Eyes in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whenever, growing up, whenever I couldn't sleep, my mother and I would joke. We'd say, one moon circles. Yeah. So just, um, but, the, okay, so to get out of this space trap, the other alien ship needs hydrogen to be released. And Troy has to go back into her dream and communicate to them that they have, in fact, released the hydrogen. Um, because the alien sensors don't work either, apparently, yeah. and can't detect this stream of hydrogen that they're shooting out of the warp engines. The Bussard, the 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 the, 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 the collectors, collectors, yeah, but it's still. I, I'll buy that. All right. But my point is, hydrogen makes up seventy-five percent of mass in the universe. This other ship doesn't have hydrogen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, hydrogen. <laughs> so this this point, it, I think it all falls apart. I mean, I understand. Where the writers were coming from, we have to come up with a metaphor that relates to an element that we can project in a dream. And uh, yeah, okay, yeah, but fine. It, but it, difficult it kinda, to buy. It, it breaks. It breaks me a little bit in in <laughs> my you know nerd soul. All right, let's go into number four on the list. Okay, Angel One. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's well known. Season what, season one. Episode fourteen. It's important to note this was nineteen eighty eight. You don't yeah. always think of that. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I get it. And when you watch it and you see the haircuts, yeah. the outfits, you are reminded immediately that it yeah. is the 80s. So, Angel One, there is a... I originally wrote this uh, it's as an ultra-feminist society, but it's not. It's not ultra-feminist. It's ultra-matriarchal. Right. Um, yeah, Picard has a really awkward line. It's basically, it's amazing that on this planet the women are in charge, and the yeah. women are strong, and the hunters, and it's the male who is subservient. It's, it's, How crazy is that? It's Which, hard to watch. Yeah, and it's not the Picard we come to know and love. No. It's, it's not, and you know, it's 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 that lines right up there with him talking about the French flag. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, they find a, another. Uh, they stumble across the derelict ship. 
Uh, in this case, uh, escape pods have been fired. The escape pods have clearly crashed on this planet, Angel One. And um, so the Enterprise goes to investigate. Turns yeah. out it was seven years ago. And uh, the people have landed and made lives for themselves and don't want to leave, even though the government, or at least one member of the government, wants them to leave. Because they're spreading, you know, they're anarchists. Like men should have equal rights. Oh, what a clever reversal of... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can I interrupt just for a second here? The first of many nitpicks, but this one I can't let go. Sure. They clearly say that this is a mid-20th century analog to Earth. But they beam right down and start talking to these people, to this pre-warp civilization in a clear violation of the Prime Directive that they don't even mention. Right. It's very true. My understanding from it wasn't that they were... My understanding was that they were a colony, but they had just stalled technology back in uh, the mid-20th century. But that could be wrong. Okay, well, anyway. I was buying that. At least I was going to run over that. But you're right. Yeah. That's weird. There's another problem... Because they talk about the Prime Directive. They're not allowed to take the uh, freighter uh, crew off the planet by force because they're not it because, they're not Federation citizens. Right. His exact words are because their, their freighter isn't a starship. Which is also wrong. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> not a Federation the, starship. Yeah, but Data says it's not a starship, so the Prime Directive doesn't apply to them. And we all right. go, huh? Yeah, this is, this is a more examples of Season 1 not quite having its... Uh, Togetherness, together. Yeah. Do right. we want to just keep naming nitpicks, or do we have like a summary for I mean, this? Because there are a thousand of them in this episode. Wesley throws a snowball out of the holodeck and hits Picard. Yep. Too much into the weeds. Too much into the weeds. Let's <laughs> no, no, no. Them. This is important. This is. These are the reason it's terrible. There's a. This is a major plot point for a lot of Star Trek. Is that the holodeck? Yeah. Like, it's all holograms. It can't exist outside isn't, the holodeck. Isn't there something about that leading to a cold? Or yeah, 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 yeah. They catch a. They catch a cold, a, a respiratory cold. virus in and, the holodeck. And did they sp- catch it in the holodeck, or did he come in from somewhere else? That, my understanding is he they, had recently been somewhere else. And there was a smell-based virus coming it, it is a smell-based virus. Which is another problem I had. Because <laughs> that's just a virus that's communicated through particles in the air. But a, a, but, but a smell-based virus, that's the conclusion that Crusher <laughs> comes to. And to cure the smell-based virus, she develops a vaccine. Not a cure. Yeah. A vaccine. And she, and she inoculates the people coming back from the landing party while apparently the rest of the ship is down and out. Yeah. They're, they're something like two-thirds out of capacity. They run out of ship. Um, Worf has these ridiculous echoing sneezes. Yeah. yeah. Right. He is joking with Geordi about Klingon sneezes. Yeah. Like, right. it's, oh. it's, it's, it's a weak episode. It's all terrible. Yeah. Like every moment. But I mean, like, the, why? the big and, moment that we haven't touched on is the fact that all the problems get solved when Riker... Puts on, you know, Jennifer Lopez's Grammy outfit yeah. with the deep V yeah. and seduces and nails the, the prime minister yeah. of the of the woman planet. <laughs> oh, and, and then, a little indelicately phrased, but yes, that is legit. my favorite part. Is that is is he also then gives the morality tale at the end, which he doesn't have the gravitas to do. Jonathan Franks, I'm sorry, but it's um, at the end he gives the to, to stop the execution of the freighter. Uh, um, crew, he's like, no, no, you can't do this. You can't stop evolution. Like, no, this is just terrible. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah it's it, you're, you're trying to stop a revolution, but what you are stopping is evolution. And she says, okay, I agree with you. Instead of killing them, we're just going to exile them to a wasteland. 
He goes, oh, good. Thank you very much. I'm glad everything's covered. <laughs> yeah. Let's get back to the ship. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, well, what have we learned then? What, what are the allegory? <laughs> like, nothing what we've gets learned is, uh, is Riker is not ready to be captain. Nothing gets resolved, <laughs> yeah. and then they leave. Yep. <laughs> That's the end yep. of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, and the one more nitpick. Off-screen Romulans, but Data waits. Right? The Romulans are amassing at the neutral zone border. But Data's like, no, I got 47 minutes before I have to leave. What? <laughs> yeah, he says he's calculated exactly how long the border outpost and its one ship can withstand a Romulan attack. That's good math, Data. That's yeah. impressive. <laughs> and, like, that, that's, you know, withstand the attack. Doesn't mean people aren't going to die in the meantime. And that's also, you know, guessing. That's taking yeah. a lot of things, assumptions <laughs> into play. But that's all happening off screen. So it's okay. Right. It doesn't really matter. It's an arbitrary deadline that the writers stuck in and did not think about it. And the rest of the episodes on this list are even worse. (laughs) Number three. Man of the People. Season six, episode three, October of 92. Man of the People. uh, They rescue a... uh, They rescue a mediator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ambassador Alcar. Ambassador Alcar, played by... A bad actor. (laughs) Just awful. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, he was—he really was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, especially at the beginning of the episode, it was like I was like, who? Where did they drag this guy? Oh, out? When they were walking in the hallway walk, after Klingon yoga, and right. he's trying to explain. You know, I find that it helps to be very calm. So tra- I also have a problem with Klingon yoga, like well, the, it's Klingon Tai Chi. It's well. That's the thing. Is as my dad said, who practiced Tai Chi. It's just bad Tai Chi. Right. Right. <laughs> it's really what it I mean, is. Come on, mate. it's Klingon Tai Chi. Of course, it's going to be bad Tai Chi. This is I think Klingon Mokbara. Or something yeah, the like Mokbara class. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So they 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 rescue the 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 mediator. They got to bring him to to finish the mediation. He comes with his quote unquote mother, who immediately dies, and they find out that she's in fact thirty seven. And Even though she looks like she's 90. Like she looks yeah. like a withered old crone. And this guy is uh, starting to make moves on Troy, and then they do the funeral rites, and then all of a sudden, Troy starts acting like a bitch. <laughs> Excuse my language. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he, he touches her with a magic stone, yeah. and then she just turns into a, this now, harlot. Yeah. Speaking of, of non-sci-fi plots, the magic stones are just so silly. Yeah. So he's it's like something he, out of Lord of the Rings, which he's I'm using her to absorb his negative emotions and energies and thoughts. Yeah, the reason he's so successful as a mediator because he only keeps good emotions. Like this, it, calm. The, actually, as you're talking about it, it feels like it should be an original series episode. Like it yeah. seems like it's yeah. so much more of a current very spot. campy. Yeah. Be, yeah. Like, like, let's leave aside for the how do you figure good emotions versus bad emotions. Yeah. But then it also makes her super age, which yeah. I guess is a side effect of bad emotions. For some reason, they, yeah. they never really make that clear. No, of why that happens. And there's when he, you know, when they finally confront him about this, he he monologues like a supervillain. He explains everything, even though there's it's completely reprehensible and unjustifiable. Like he, this whole thing could have have ended in his favor if he'd just been like, "Oh, it's terrible about Canceler Troy. I, I have no idea what the problem is." Peace. Yeah. <laughs> but he tells Picard, and Picard gives him a righteous speech. It's a great. Speech. It's a good speech, and then he goes, "Yeah, well, I'm doing it anyway." Yeah, and that's because it. Because his 
you know, value as a man is more than her value as a woman. And in the meantime, that's not what he says, but right. that's, yeah, that's what but that's, we're to that's read the understanding. Into and in the meantime, Troy, what happens to her when she absorbs his negative emotions is that she gets really mean and like possessive and sexy. Yeah, and, which and, is saying a lot of really bad things yeah. all at once. Well, yeah, like it's, it's, it's for sure you know demonizing sex, yeah. which is of course I'm sure something that uh, the network was much happier about <laughs> than the opposite uh, approach. But um, but it also you know it's just saying a lot of things about how the whoever the writer is views sex and and older women as well. Yeah. Well, Jeez, come on, guys. Yeah. 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 And I guess it's supposed to be, like we were talking earlier, it's sort of an allegory for, like, a, like emotional abuse. It might. Well, here's the thing. Like, if, you, if you look at it now with modern eye, you can read an extra layer in there. It's like, okay, he is emotionally abusing. This could be an allegory for an emotional abuse of relationship and what it does to, to the abused in a relationship. But... If you actually watch the episode, I don't think that's there. No. You know? Yeah, I that's think, not the intent. The intent no. is to like have like evil Troy for yeah, a while. It's like if yeah. there was another draft, you could have worked that in there more. There's a part where, where she shows up and attend forward to talk with him. And it, it, it struck me watching it now that she's dressed a lot like her mom. Like yeah. she's wearing something that I feel like Loxana Troy would have looked totally natural in. Well, Loxana Troy is another character who's who's overtly and overly sexual as an over, older woman, yeah, and, and is off-putting to yeah, everyone mm-hmm. because of it, right? Yeah, or Until is meant Odo. to be. But they're like, you know, she like she's seducing Riker, and then she claws his face, yeah, and like leaves like like bloody scars on him. But she's not actually mad at him. It's just that's what evil sex is. Yeah. It, it, and and Riker, you know, he backs out terrified, and yeah. we're terrified. But, but as the you're thinking like, well, what is what was that supposed to do? What was, what was your goal here? Yeah. I don't know. I I have to say though, as much bad stuff as there is in this episode, I thought Frakes, Jonathan Frakes as Riker gave a great performance, like very nuanced, and and you see all these like confusing. Thoughts go across his face. I was I was very impressed. You know, Jonathan Frakes. Acting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even Marina Sirtis, like she like the reasons for her being you know an evil witch oh, yeah. were the, mo- the, the reasons don't make any sense, but she acted it well. And she doesn't get a chance to do that a lot on the show. Yeah, she yeah she, she especially is a very cardboard cutout of a character. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it also and, and as you were saying in the preamble. You almost wanted to see what happened in in the mediation. You wanted to see, okay, what happens? What does Picard have to take over the mediation? Yeah. What 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 else could happen? Yeah, the me- it turns out the mediation isn't that important to the story. It's just there as like a like a, a, a deadline yeah. Yeah. device. They keep talking about how these people won't come to the table to negotiate this peace between them, and and you hear about it, and you're like, well, I want to see what happens here. How is he going to solve this? And it's just like hand waved away. Mm. He just does it. Yeah, he's just so good because he doesn't have any negative emotions that he can solve all these problems. You just need a Vulcan, I guess. Yeah, but you could just have a Vulcan. <laughs> there are lots of Vulcan negotiators kicking around for good reason. You can't yeah. trust these people. Yeah, all this, right. this is another thought that came to me as a uh, you know grown up watching the show who knows a bit more about how TV works. But there's a when Picard goes down to confront him, he brings Worf with him, and I was like. Why are they including Worf in this? And I still don't have a great idea. He's there. There's like two shots of him. He doesn't have any dialogue. They put Michael Dorn in all his Klingon makeup. He just stands there and has his phaser taken away. And then they're escorted off. And it's like, 
did they just need to make sure Michael Dorn got paid that day or something? I mean, I guess because at that point, Picard knows that like the ambassador has done a bad thing, so he's going to bring his intimidating Klingon. I guess so, but it's, it's also, like they didn't give him anything to do. Yeah. It's also possible he had a line and it was yeah. Yeah, uh, unnecessary to the to the story. Plus, <laughs> cut a- it. Anyway, so they kill Troy, and then he, they, they trick the ambassador into trying to mind link with somebody else. So then they revive Troy and the feedback of the negative emotions makes the ambassador super old immediately and he drops dead. Right. Because like, like, that's what happens I when feel you like, feel like a lot of bad emotions at once. You yeah, super just, age and die. Instantly. I think they could have explained it if he they had said that he's actually, you know, 150 years old and he'd been do, using this power. Right, a Dorian Gray his, thing. Yeah, transfer yeah. his age to yeah. someone else. But they never mention the age. No. They don't explain why the age I, thing is happening. I, it's, did, they, did they explain why Troy de-aged? No. I, they, oh, they re-did re, the neurotransmitters. Right. And, okay, and here is the topper. And this is sort of a, an overarching uh, Star Trek problem, but... You got mind control, and it happens, you know, in the seven years we follow this this crew, it happens at an alarming frequency. So why isn't, why don't they check for mind control yeah. all the time? <laughs> like, if and, anybody ever does anything out of character, why not? Okay, you know what? Let's go have a chat I, with the doctor. I love this part. With, with the first time you really see her looking aged, where they put age makeup on her, her hair's turning gray, she leaves her quarters and is like screaming at the ambassador, like, take me with you. <laughs> right. But then Ensign walks yeah. by. And Ensign walks by and it looks at her and it's, it never occurs to him to be like, wow, Counselor Troy looks really weird. I should probably tell someone about this. And yeah. Maybe yeah. Have... yeah, she's aged like 40 years yeah. in a day, <laughs> yeah. and she's standing in the hallway screaming. Oh. And then when <laughs> she confronts him in the, the transporter room, yeah. and then suddenly out of nowhere has a knife in her hand and stabs Picard, and it's like, where did that come from? Yeah, there's not no a lot of room in that dress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, terrible. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to number two. Number two. All right, season oh, one. I can't believe this wasn't your number one. <laughs> I have referred to this episode before on this podcast. Sure. This is Captain Picard and the Adventures of the Planet of the Black People. Oh, yes. Code of Honor, Season 1, Episode 4. October 87. Thank you. Um, 87? 87? But even for 87, this has to be the most tone-deaf bit of television. Not just Star Trek. Maybe of all of television history. (laughs) This... Jonathan Frakes referred to this episode as a racist piece of shit. <laughs> Quote, unquote. The worst and most embarrassing and one that even Gene would have been embarrassed by. I, what does that mean? Even Gene? Apparently, there's, a, Gene, there's some stuff has come out about Gene Roddenberry. That apparently, he wasn't so good in certain categories. Well, he's not great with women. That's yeah, obvious, that's but, come up. But, but uh, yeah, I, tell right? us about Code of Honor. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah. So, oh my the Enterprise God. has to get some... A vaccine. Yeah. They ha- do they actually have the vaccine or do they have some material they need for the vaccine? They have the vaccine. They have the vaccine. It only itself. comes from this planet. Right. Okay. So that aside. Plane to the MacGuffin. The plan- they, they come to this planet that is uh, ruled by a caricature of, of Africa. <laughs> and, you know, this is definitely a, a – somebody said, oh – well, we'll just use black people and we'll write them like they're black. But that's not what you did. You just made stuff up. <laughs> but my, my understanding is that it was the director of the episode who did the all-black cast. Like, it oh. wasn't written with that in mind. The director was just like, 
this is my vision for after so reading the script. So he read that script and said, oh, they intend this to be it, yeah, racist. It is got to fulfill that vision. It is this warlike, patriarchal, selfish... Except not like, totally patriarchal because the women have all the power. It is a it's, woman's place to own the land, but it's yeah. a man's place to like own the woman. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, so convoluted. So and there was racist. Like, yeah, and, and like multiple wives and yeah. that's all. And, and the whole thing is about like, well, we have to pretend to like... Yeah, we have to do what they do in their culture to show them respect to get the vaccine. Yeah, which is an additional sort of colonial racism <laughs> issue. Oh, God, where do you start with this okay, episode? Okay, so they go down to, to get the thing, and uh, they're beginning the negotiations, and then they bring them up to, to continue the negotiations, and then they kidnap Yar? Yeah, the, the, the leader of the Luton, Luton. Their, their, their king, essentially, yeah. is impressed with Tasha because she's a woman, but she can... Like, she security can also, officer, she's, yeah. yeah, but she can also fight, and that's so weird. And so he kidnaps her... As like a like a like a show of like strength, like, yeah, like it, it's a counting coup is what they reference yeah. in the show. Okay, because you know, like primitive native tribes on Earth. Yep. No, they do. Yeah. Say that, don't they? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, where they would like kidnap someone, and then you're supposed to go and politely ask for them back, and it's like a respectful acknowledgement yeah. that they were able to do, take this person from you. Yeah. And then, of course, he decides not to give up Tashiar. And uh, instead, um, it's like a gladiatorial fight yeah, between yeah. He, the wives. Uh, he pits Tasha Yar against his wife, so because that he if can the, get the wife, yeah, land. if the wife is killed, then he can inherit all her land and wealth and Would stuff. You, and so Tasha Yar has to fight his wife in a jungle gym <laughs> with uh, the the, the, the spiky, spiky yeah. poison gloves. Yeah. So it's a glove. And then where your fingers would be, it's a spiked Claw. ball, yeah. and the ball has all these poison spines on it, and then like a beak. Yeah. And they both walk around with this really awkward pose, with their hands held up in the air like they're waving. They can't but, touch themselves. Yeah, just holding this stupid glove. Yeah. It sort of has echoes of Amok Time, the, the fight between Kirk and Spock, except that had interesting, you know, but they, resonance for the But they go to land. You know, good like, music. Yeah, too. Great music. <laughs> In this one, the music is all like wooden stick instruments yeah. because they're primitive. Yeah. Uh, and like all the like the, the the outfits are all like the open chested vest and the turban. Yeah. And the like it's it and they constantly are talking about the culture. This is what they think is civilized. These these primitive people and they cut to just all these pitch black people looking at Picard and Riker yeah. and Data and Tasha, like all the white people who accommodate this yeah. primitive, violent mm-hmm. culture. It's yeah. brutal. It's disgusting. You don't get much whiter than Data. Outside. No. <laughs> and once, you, like, I mean, you don't get past the racism, but yeah. if you do, there's still the story that makes no sense. The dialogue is incredibly crappy. Yeah, because it's, it's, I mean... Crusher, like, she comes to the car, like, we need the vaccine. He says, I know. And she's like, well, her, her line is like, damn, where are the calluses we doctors are supposed to grow over? Uh, oh. It's, it's like, like purple prose. Oh, yeah. God. It's, and and, and mm-hmm. much of that first, especially the first half of the first season, has got that really blunt terrible dialogue to sandwich that with with this this the framing of the episode I, I, I didn't i didn't do any of the research that showed me that the the director made the choice to use the black cast i wonder how it would felt 
without that. Yeah, Will Wheaton, in an interview, helpfully commented that like, if all the people down there weren't black, then racism wouldn't have been an issue. I was like, okay, thanks, Will. That, that, yeah, that's... <laughs> But it, yeah, it's it, it's. I think it, it still would have been if they'd been treated like primitive savages. Like it would just have been a, a white coat of paint over racism. Yeah, what, but I mean, that's we're used to seeing that on Star Trek. This was yeah. just so blatant. Yeah, and the the point is is that you know, especially if you're you know you're watching it in a post colonial, you're you're sitting there going. I can't watch this no, but anymore. I think in 1987 it was still it was like still, that. No, I mean, no, no. it was like, so clearly. You notice Worf and Jordy. Like, Worf isn't in this one at all. I don't no. think. I think it's one of the few episodes he is not in it at all, right. and Jordy barely has well, anything he's to do at the helm, right? Well, I think he beams think down to like inspect team. the weapons at yeah, one point yeah. for, oh, for yeah, no he does, reason. He does. He's like these yeah. are razor sharp. And they, yeah, they're, they're, he's looking at. He's looking, yeah, he's like their primitive weapons are actually very effective. Oh, jeez. <laughs> but I mean, uh, he that the actor was on like the groundbreaking miniseries Roots. It's like that, and that came out a few years before this. It's like you know, he's part of your cast. You should know how how out of touch this whole storyline is. I can't believe this isn't your number one. This is Fair one of enough. the worst hours of television ever filmed. My number one. Number one was, and surprisingly from season seven, is Sub Rosa. Crusher falls in love with a cannon. Yeah. (laughs) Season seven, episode 14, 94. It is a romance ghost story. Yeah. Which, you know what? Looking back on it, the episode wasn't as bad as I remembered. I mean, what's bad about it is that it makes no sense that it's on Star Trek. Yeah. Because it is a ghost story romance. Yeah. And... It doesn't like none of the characters fit what's happening in the story, but the actual like act one, act two, like it all yeah. follows. Sure, it's just ridiculous. If they, if if I feel like if okay, the here's here's the problem that I have with this episode. Oh, in okay. addition, again, to yours. again for, let's start with what's going on. Sure, okay. Uh, uh, Beverly Crusher, her grandmother dies, and the Enterprise is able to attend the colony for the funeral. And uh, uh, after the funeral, um, Beverly discovers, uh, going through her grandmother's things, that uh, she had a younger man lover. And things go from there, and he appears, and he falls in love with her, and then he possesses her, and then convinces her to stay on the planet. and Confesses to being a ghost pretty quickly. Oh yeah, it's pretty early on. And it turns out he's actually an alien. An alien, an anaphasic alien who needs to, like, merge with organic life forms to live, but also lives at the same time in a candle um, that apparently is plasma-based. Yep. Which is weird because apparently they've had that candle, like, for generations. Yeah. Oh yeah, no. This is this so, is a Scottish ghost from Scotland. Yeah, uh, this colony, by the way, is a recreation of the Scottish Highlands. Because yeah. if you're making a Harlequin romance, it has to be. Right, right. There has yeah. to be moors. <laughs> At one point, the bridge has fog. In yeah, it, you know, because there's a malfunction along the power transfer beam. Which is there are because the the, the, the ghost. We learn that because the ghost, that's how he gets to the Enterprise. He can travel along the power. He says this to Beverly. Yeah. He says, I, "The power transfer beam. I can travel along it, and then we'll be together right, forever." Because that, right. So he he he. <laughs> the ghost is able to sabotage the weather system, 
causing the Enterprise to send a power transfer beam to the planet to reinforce the weather system. And then he comes up to the ship. And it's, it's, some, just, yeah, and it's a clever ghost. So yeah. there's a wonderful scene. We first get the hint of the ghost. It's Crusher's in bed and, like, you know, a ghostly. For, like, it takes the, the bed covers off. And then so in the morning she's talking to Troy. Also, space sex. Space ghost sex. It, man, yeah. space ghost sex. Yeah, we'll, space we'll, ghost sex. We'll get back to that because of the scene in the cottage yes, later. But yes. <laughs> it's in the morning after she's talking to Troy. And her. Exa- I wrote that. I went back and wrote this down. Her exact dialogue is, it's like I knew him or he knew me. He knew exactly how I like to be touched. The sensations were very real and extremely arousing. And I believe at this point, are, are they in leotards and stretching? They're, no, this is, they're, like, they're sitting across from each other. Okay. And, yeah, this isn't, and, but it's like, wow, so tell, not show, huh? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, so that's the, the writing is awful. Yeah, <laughs> which is, the problem with this episode isn't that there's a bad, it's a, based on a bad idea because it's not based on a bad idea it's based on a you know famous piece of literature but yeah. it, what's it based on well it's probably uh the uh, rebecca oh, okay uh, originally which is an old ghost romance like but it's a story that doesn't belong there no it and... doesn't belong there and to in order to shoehorn it into next generation They've had to take away the motivation from all the characters and and replace them with sci-fi motivations. And I think that they've had to, you know, just shoehorn it in to, to fit the characters. And in addition to that, they didn't write it from a female perspective. Some guy wrote this and gave all these words to... Demonstrably. To, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Everyone with every agency in this is, is a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Troy just rolls with it until Crusher suddenly decides to leave the ship. And Crusher, like, buys into it immediately. Immediately. He's like, I'm a ghost and I love you. And I'm great. And, and your grandmother <laughs> and your the mother before that. Also, I'm going to change the color of your eyes. Yeah, that happens. He... <laughs> Isn't there also a part of this, and I remember this uh, uh, because it scared me as a kid, where uh, the grandmother comes back to life for... Yeah, the alien ghost, like... In his final throws, he's yeah, trying he to defend... Pissed, yeah, because Jordy and Data are exhuming the body of the grandmother because she's still all charged with the, like, the alien energy and they know it's tied to the weather problem. Yeah. So he, like, possesses the dead grandmother who, like, sits up dramatically out of the coffin and Emperor Palpatines them <laughs> yeah. with alien ghost lightning. <laughs> space ghost lightning. Space yeah. ghost gotta lightning. gotta keep going with yeah, the space right. ghost. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah, and again, and yeah, I said we'd get back to this. And, like, so, like, Picard goes to figure out, like, why is... Beverly suddenly decided to go live like in the Scottish Highlands. So he beams <laughs> down and comes to her Scottish cottage where like we see that she like like that he like the ghost is seducing her and moving but he opens the door and she's basically like writhing around in this chair having an orgasm and Picard is just like looking in concerned through the crack <laughs> in the door. Concerned? It's so awkward. Yeah. Like <laughs> And, it, and it's Picard. Yeah. Like, like if it was Riker, you'd be like, Riker, come on, Riker. But, oh, it's so hard to so, watch. And I'll tell you why exactly this is the top of my list. It's because this is season seven and they should know better. At this that, point... That's a good point. They, Code of they Honor have done, is pretty early. They have done such better work and, and moved, you know, you moved your spirit so many times. This is after Inner Light. Right. right, right. 
So, but maybe at this point they're running out of ideas and they're putting their best work into the finale, which was only what like less than ten episodes away. Yeah, and this is a bottle too. It has nothing to do with any of the stories, any of the arcs. Well, but characters. a lot of the episodes in next yeah, gen. I mean, like, yeah, it's well, technically what? a bottle episode would be all on the ship. So this is it's it's episodic. It doesn't. Yeah, it's right. not part of a larger arc. Right. It, it doesn't have to refer back to anything. But but my point is is that. They are capable of better than this at this point. I forgive a lot of the first two seasons as them finding their legs. I don't forgive Code of Honor and I don't Ugh. forgive Angel One, but I don't. I do forgive you know some of it as they're finding their legs. They're figuring out how they're going to make this show work different from the original series, current, mm. whatever they're doing. Um, but at this point, they should be able to do better. They should be able to even if you okay. I've got this idea. Let's do a story where Crusher falls in love with the Space Ghost. Then you okay? say no. You say no, or you say okay, but Convince it's got to be me. a good script. Yeah. You know, you gotta you gotta come up with the and script. It's not that works. the sequence of her like where they're first starting to merge. Oh, what's happening to me? It goes on forever, and more and more flowers keep appearing in the cottage, and it's just cuts of her talking to no one forever. Like, it's not just the script. It's Everything boring. about it. The direction is not working. But in this episode, she immediately becomes a go- alien yeah. ghost love slave. <laughs> and like the only people who can help her are Captain Picard, the weird Scottish harbinger. Who dies pretty quick. The, I tell you, the, the, the condo is haunted. Yeah. Ah, like, it's like the start of every horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Data and Jordy off screen. Or not off screen, but in trying to solve the other problem. They're saving her. Um, the Scottish ghosts, Ronan is played by Duncan Rigar, who comes back as Shakar in DS9. Yeah. I didn't mind his acting as Ronan, but the character. Yeah, why was he there? You know? Like, so. So. Those are my five. Those were the five worst episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. It is important to note that there are almost 30 episodes per season, and a lot of them are really good. But But these are five that you can leave alone. Dave, thank you for that warning, for that cautionary tale. <laughs> and you, an original series one for us. Of uh, the worst episodes of original series? Uh, tricky. Um, yeah. another, that's another podcast. Yeah. In any case, Dave, thanks for coming back. No problem. My good, pleasure. Always good to have you. Special thanks, of course, to our guests and as well to our crew, to Stella Simeonova for putting this all together for you, and to Jamie Ryum. You can find him at Jamie Ryum Official on YouTube and check out his podcast, Originals and Covers and Beyond. That's R-E-A-U-M-E. He's our musician-in-chief. We love The Next Generation. We love Star Trek in general, but, you know, there are stinkers. If you've got other ones that you think we should be mentioning, feel free to let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at geektop5 at gmail.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. Uh, we've got our own website, geektop5.com, and we're on Twitter at geektop5. You can also leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That was Geek Top 5. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.